Welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. I'm your host, Alan Paris, joined as always as the musketeer number one to my musketeer number two, Brian Traeger, and the musketeer number three to the musketeer number one and two, Chelsea Mize. Okay, any reaction? Oh God, that's bad. I like the third musket, the musketeer number three, rather than the third musketeer. <laughs> there we go. Well, that being said, uh, we're excited about today's episode. Today, we're joined uh, virtually by Rich Swerbinski, the COO of the Mortgage Collaborative. Um, and really, the goal of having Rich on the show was to understand in these unprecedented times how is the average mortgage lender feeling um, positively, uh, negatively in the, in the environment and how do they feel like they're going to be reacting in the next few months? Um, what, what turned uh, in the conversation was a great discussion around the commonality of who are the lenders that are succeeding in this environment and a great discussion around leadership. So without further ado, Rich Swerbinski. Well, Rich, we're super excited to have you on the show. Uh, how has, I think we'll start with the question that everybody's asking each other now. How is quarantine life treating Rich Swarbinski? <laughs> you know, our team has always been remote. So from that perspective, it has not been an adjustment or anything we've needed to do, needed to adapt to. Um, but, you know, outside of that, like everybody going a little bit stir crazy. Um, all is good in my world, friends and family. So, uh, yeah, just hunkering down, no travel opportunity to get a lot of stuff done around the house. A lot of, lot of, uh, blocking and tackling mortgage collaborative stuff that travel often makes tougher. So in a lot of ways it's been good. That's great. And, you know, to, to set the context a little bit for, uh, for anyone who's not familiar with the mortgage collaborative. So the mortgage collaborative group of, is it 170 now lenders, 150? 197, 197, 197, uh, independent lenders, regional credit unions, banks. Um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons we thought you on the show would be so powerful is rather than, you know, talking to one, uh, manager of a independent mortgage shop on how are they handling the situation, navigating the waters. Now you get a pulse on 192, um, every single day. And I think that's, that's a big part of your day to day. Am I correct? And, in, in just working with the members, understanding what their needs are, how, how you guys can better serve them and what, and what they're going through this time. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's our number one really mission, uh, as an organization is to, you know, on a very real time basis, understand what is most important to our lender members and provide them solutions. Uh, these last seven or eight weeks, obviously the business climate's been really changed a lot of new things for lenders to deal with. Um, so it's given us an opportunity to connect even deeper with our members. Uh, it's been one really good thing about this whole mess. These last eight weeks for us, just as an organization is, um, we've just connected on so much of a deeper level with our members. If it's the, the loan processor that, uh, has been on one of the networking calls we've been doing that maybe didn't even know they were members of the mortgage collaborative or uh, lender members of ours that weren't super engaged that now have become super engaged. We, we really made a strategic decision when everything started changing about eight weeks ago to pretty much drop a lot of things we were working on and 
refocus our entire staff's energy and efforts towards these networking calls that we're doing uh, 10 to 12 on average on a weekly basis on all the topics most pertinent to lenders. A lot of them obviously dealing with things that are happening right now that are different. Um, it's provided a lot of um, comfort, uh, guidance for members. If it's, you know, things to do at closing to, uh, reduce the chances of, uh, a loan buyback coming back to them on a loan. Maybe they went in the forbearance or managing remote staff or, uh, you know, some of the challenges in and around in-person closings, interior appraisals. It's really given us an opportunity to uh, connect with our members on a deeper way. Does that surprise you at all, whether you guys are seeing such high engagement and such stressful times? I guess, could that go back to being a bit of the philosophy of, of what the mortgage collaboratives is, is to be a resource during tough times too? But does it surprise you that you guys have had such engagement recently? I mean, to be totally honest, it did surprise me and us a little bit. I mean, you know, when things started to change in theory, I mean, our, our thought was this is our time to shine. Um, this is our time to really um, provide uh, venues and settings and sessions for our members to talk through these really unique, never have happened before issues with their peers. Um, and you know, our hope was that we'd see the engagement level we did, but we didn't expect it. I, I think we've averaged close to 90 people on every one of these calls. You know, it was an initiative for us in 2020 to roll out this TMC connect platform, which is our online virtual learning platform. Um, you know, our conference was in February. It was still very busy in the first quarter. So it got off to a slow start. It was very much a soft rollout in Q1. And uh, we had planned to, slowly roll it out throughout the course of the year more fully. And then boom, Friday, March 13th. Um, it was, <laughs> it was hoist upon the members um, <laughs> in a very aggressive way. And now it's, it's like, it's part of our DNA. We're running these calls almost every weekday at three and 4 PM Eastern, uh, sometimes one at 2 PM Eastern as well. And uh, it's been great to see the level of engagement. I think a lot of the things maybe we've done in the past, to build goodwill with our members, um, maybe it's paid off a little bit and, uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you know, I, I think you're, you're right where there, there was that doomsday of, of, of COVID news. I think it was when March madness was, uh, announced closed and, uh, in all sports and, and everything. I, that's the one that sticks to my mind is like the day that COVID really impacted daily life. Um, and there was like a two week period. It felt like where, everybody was in kind of this shock state of kind of don't do anything, stay put. Um, but it, it's amazing that I think the, tr the trend that we see and we feel as well is I think people have quickly realized that this is the new normal for the period of time. And you can't just kind of sit back and, and do any and do nothing. Um, and at the same time, to me, it almost brings up this for how quickly things changed you need to be nimble and moving quickly all the time in your business rather than uh, waiting to kind of feel the pressures uh, of for good or for worse. So like you need to be taking control of your business and moving and thinking about the next step rather than just kind of letting the, the flow of volume kind of dictate you that way. Without a doubt, um, being nimble 
um, is huge in the mortgage industry. Uh, it's given independent mortgage banks uh, and bankers uh, an advantage, just being honest over banks. I think the banks would admit it, you know, these last five or six years, so much has changed technology, like what you guys offer to the marketplace, all the things that have changed in the mortgage world these last five, six years, you've seen independent mortgage banks increase their market share a lot because of nimbility. Now, you know, I, I think the depositories though have realized like, you know, for example, remote employees, we did a session in new Orleans in February at our winter conference on effectively managing remote employees. It was a very well attended session. I helped lead it with a couple of our members. We had about 70 people in the room. You guys were looking at the crystal ball of, of, of what was to come in. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we didn't obviously know this was coming, but uh, the topic was one that had kind of bubbled to the top with our members. But, you know, all in all, I would say, if I had to guess, like, collectively, probably 15% of our lender members, employees were remote, you know, up until a couple months ago, and mostly underwriters. And, you know, if you, if you boil it down to just the depositories, that number is probably 5% um, and only underwriters. And we had so many people in that room. So, ah, you know, I'm thinking about doing it. I, you know, I know it makes sense on certain levels. I, I just, you know, it's a big thing for us. I, you know, I, I it can't seem to get the, to the top of my to-do list. Uh, it's such a huge undertaking and culturally the bank might have some issues with it. And then boom, in the middle of March, you know, lenders are forced to do it basically overnight. And what they quickly found out was one, employees can be remote in the mortgage industry. There's no reason they can't be. Um, and then what we continued to hear after a couple of weeks of it was almost every single member we've talked to productivity was higher. Productivity was better. Um, and, you know, I think at the time, some attributed it to, you know, people being happy to have a job, people like rising up and embracing the home office and wondering how it would play out in the April. Uh, then we continue to talk to our members throughout the course of April. And they say, you know, again, unanimously, um, productivity has not only increase, but it's, it's gotten better and better. And uh, then we start to see, you know, some of the numbers come in for our data benchmarking tool. That's uh, one of the things we offer our members and then we're starting to see it in the numbers. So um, yeah, it, it just goes to show like, you know, those things that you put off and put on hold forever because of your perception that it is a huge undertaking or it's going to create cultural rift within your organization. Be surprised at what people are capable of and what you can do if you just put your mind to it. I love yeah. it too. Like a lot of those, these heads of IT are getting a lot of props right now because of building the business continuity plans out there and saying, Hey, what if the office for some reason just goes down, whether it's like a fire or an earthquake or, you know, anything, um, being prepared for that. And now they've been knocking on the door forever, asking for some investment or some budget material or budget room to, to allow for these types of things. And Hey, here we are. So uh, always listen to those folks that are knocking on your door for more room. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the positives, I think out of the situation, if there is a positive is remote work was always something that I feel like any business either had considered before or had a strong opinion on, um, on whether it would work for their business or not. And the, the kind of benefit of all this is it forced you into an experiment 
that you maybe previously would have never done before? Like there was always too much risk to try to be an all remote workforce. Like how would you force that on your employees early on? And, and what I think it's interesting is it, it made all these business leaders do it. And if you look at some of these reports, I think it was like one from Zillow, like the Zillow's CEO, completely different opinion turned upside down on what, it, what remote work was and whether it would work for their company. So all these executives are now having completely different opinions of whether it could work for their company or not. And I think that's something that'll trend beyond just the mortgage industry, but just all industries of really strong opinions uh, being turned on by their head. And, and now maybe more companies offering this option for the long term. And then does this cause a revolution of kind of demands from, from future employees that this is something I need to have, whether it's either not, maybe not it's all full-time remote work, but it has to be something that's flexible for it to be interesting to attract talent. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. I think that, yeah, that's going to be a, a definite trend, you know, once we get out the back end of this thing, uh, certainly in the mortgage industry, but all industries, you're going to see much more remote work. Um, and I think some of the perceptions and fears that um, industries and employers had have been broken down, you know, going back to that session that we had in New Orleans in February, you know, just talking with lenders about why they had not done it. You know, I think the biggest thing that people had a hard time getting past was like not seeing the employees and fearing that they're not going to be as productive when you can't visually see them or visually check in on them. And, you know, as we started to flush it out more as a group, you know, between business intelligence and, you know, the capabilities of platforms like yours and uh, other front, uh, front end origination systems, um, it's all right there. You know, it's no longer, you got to go check in on Susie's cubicle to find out if she's productive or not. You know, it's all a data exercise. So, um, and I think lenders intuitively knew that on some level, but now they're like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't need to hover over somebody's cubicle or, uh, have in-person horribly boring hours of meetings a week to, you know, <laughs> justify my worth as a supervisor. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's been, it's it's going to be so different, but it's so good at the same time. Yep. Yeah, Brian, I think you had some some train noise coming in the background. Is that so? Um, well, um, uh, Rich, one thing I would love to hear, and and we won't make this whole discussion on remote work, but I think it's just an interesting thing is to to talk about in this time is. How many lenders do you think were well prepared? had the business continuity plan, were prepared to go remote if they needed to, and then how many were left kind of sitting on their ass and, and surprised of, of how are we even going to do this and, you know, multiple weeks of trying to even figure out to keep their business running? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think the bank, the depositories were all ready, you know, you know, everyone worked and run lending for depositories in the past, you know, you're much more heavily regulated. Um, there's a lot of bad that goes with that. Um, you know, one of the good is when something like this happens, like you're forced to have disaster recovery plans in place. Um, you know, you joked earlier about like the CIOs and, you know, having those things in place for and a lot of IMBs had them in place as well. Um, but, uh, the chief risk officers at the bank, you know, who everybody hates, you know, they're just <laughs> impeding everybody's job. Yep. Um, I'm not, you know, it's a necessary role, but, uh, 
a, a big win for, for all the CROs at banks across America. Cause you know, they spend hours and hours on end crafting these policies that everybody that they apply to doesn't think they'll ever have to implement. Um, but you never know what the hell's going to happen. And uh, yeah, so I think in general, the depositories were better prepared to do what they needed to do um, when everything started to happen. Um, but they had far fewer remote workers. So they had that, they had that hurdle to overcome. So, um, you know, with our independent mortgage bank members, um, yeah, it just depended. I, you know, the, the one thing I've just clearly seen in these last five years is um, in this role is, you know, companies with really strong, stable leadership that communicates well and is able to get out of the muck and lead with vision. Um, when you have times of uh, strife, adversity, those companies continue to add market share um, because, you know, they'll, they'll slowly just pick away. It might not be overnight, you know, uh, it might be a month from now. You know, when they pick up a, a team of LOs or, you know, a key operational employee from an organization that's struggling um, in some respect because they were not as prepared for something besides the norm. So, um, so many great companies with great leadership. And, you know, every time you have something like this happen where, you know, there's an adverse event, uh, those companies those leaders, quite frankly, like some of the ones I've talked to, some of the people I respect the most that, you know, you're obviously upset about what's going on in the country, but they view it as an opportunity, you know, coronavirus aside and, you know, cases and deaths and all that madness, like they view it as a business opportunity. Um, so, <clears throat> which is interesting, but not surprising. When you talk about the opportunity, it makes me think of, you know, for the lenders that do dive in deep with you guys and collaborate truly, that that's a great resource for them to be able to talk to somebody who maybe they don't consider as their competition to, to dive into those tough subjects or really give it the time it deserves. How do you can foster that environment of, of being collaborative with such a competitive environment and not having like convincing these lenders not to be worried about holding their cards close to their chest, to be open to, to notice that, Hey, what you give is what you get out as well. And then my second question is for people that aren't in the collaborative who might just be a loan officer who don't have a network outside of their region that they're producing in, how do they collaborate with other lenders or other people throughout the country to get those same, same types of benefits of, you know, being in a consultant with your network, if you will. Yeah. I mean, building a culture of openness, you know, when we kind of got this thing going, we realized it was going to be difficult. It's the mortgage industry for whatever reason has, you know, been very doggy dog and shrouded in secrecy and, you know, um, yeah, you know, and the founders, I give them credit, you know, like, you know, when they started this thing, they're like, why should it be that way? And I think they were starting to see, you know, a lot of things that had kind of disseminated from the meltdown in 07, 08, a lot of the legislation that was put into place after that, that was at the time designed to prevent too big to fail organizations um, had really in a lot of ways helped large, large organizations and hurt smaller organizations. Um, so that was their vision in starting this thing. And, 
uh, what caught my attention really when, you know, I had kind of hooked up with the founders and started talking to them about coming on board. Um, as far as, you know, creating that culture, you know, there is so much mortgage volume out there. Um, I just, I, when I was a lender, I was always a huge networking guy. I never viewed it that way. Um, there is, you know, like we, we liken it to like golf, you know, like, uh, if you go out and execute your shots, you don't got to look at the leaderboard. You know, when you get to Sunday afternoon, you're going to be okay. And, um, it's an analogy. I think that that works with, with the mortgage industry. Um, there's so much business to be had out there. And at the end of the day, you know, we're not like splitting the atom or, you know, designing, uh, you know, complex it's, it's, we're manufacturing mortgage loans. Um, it is customer service. It is technology. It is process. It is communication. And, you know, there's no like hidden trade secrets. Now that said, the mortgage industry is an industry of constant change for different reasons. Uh, regulatory technology was delayed to the mortgage industry because of all the regulatory madness from 07 to 12. We basically were five years delayed on tech. We're starting to see that now come to the marketplace. So it is an industry that is constantly changing. Um, so there's so much benefit in being able to talk to others about how to navigate that change best. So, um, and you know, what happens is the typical member that joins TMC, they're like, okay, you know, it kind of sounds cool what you're doing. I don't know, you know, how willing I am to throw myself into that mix. Um, they join, they come to their first conference, they see it all first time attendees to our conference say the same thing. Like, I can't believe how nice and open everybody is with one another. Like I was sitting right next to my competitor that was, you know, you know, just completely getting under the hood as to, you know, things that they do to make them successful, um, a lender then this, so they get some benefit out of that. And then they feel obliged to pay it forward at some point in membership. And it's really built upon itself. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, who's the biggest uh, market share leader right now? Quicken Loans, Wells Fargo, they've got collectively 5% or something of the entire market. So great point about there being a plenty of business out there. And I got to challenge you in one aspect where you said it's not rocket science. We're not splitting atoms or anything, but I can say that one of our uh, founder of one of the companies that's a customer of Maxwell uh, is a graduate from MIT and used to work for the Department of Defense on some rocket propulsion. So look out, maybe we, maybe are, we are splitting atoms, who knows, but Jared Martin, shout out. Uh, good luck to whatever you are that you're doing. Hey Rich, one, one area I want to, that you hit on, and I think it, I think it continued through that theme of, of what makes people open to, to sharing what they're learning and giving back and, you know, not being afraid of giving up all their secrets in terms of, you know, increasing their own business. It, it, it comes down to leadership, like you were saying, and those are the companies that are, are, uh, are doing well during this time is, is leadership training, uh, for, for founders as well as, um, executives of companies and their leadership team. Is that, common enough in the mortgage industry? Or do you think that's an area of opportunity that, that we need to lean into? It is a huge area of opportunity. Um, you know, I'm not like a school guy, you know, I really am not. I, 
I did not go to college. I, you know, was the person that had a hard time sitting through classes. Um, you know, I did not, didn't reject professional development early in my career, but I was not seeking it at all. And uh, the bank that I was with before taking this job, I was, you know, running capital markets forum and ended up running residential lending. And I give the CEO a lot of credit. He saw some good things in me. He saw some area of areas of opportunity for me. And uh, uh, there's unbelievable school here in the Cleveland area called Case Western Reserve, nationally renowned uh, university. Uh, they have a business institute called the uh, Weatherhead Business Institute, and people come from all over the world to uh, take classes and seminars at it. And um, the, the bank I was at, they put me through a leadership course through it, and I got so much out of it. And um, and that's the difference I see. Like I being in this role for the last five years now, five plus years. I have really seen that, that leadership is everything. It really is um, because it, it, it just, it manifests itself through so many different ways in an organization. You know, it's been constant peaks and valleys in the mortgage industry. There's no, you know, it is up, it's down. It's so that beats on employees. If you're a processor, an underwriter, loan originator, you know, you have months where you're terrified for your job. You have months where it's so busy, you're working 60 hours a week and they're ordering pizza for everybody every day just to keep people from freaking out. Like it's a very cyclical industry. So the impact of good leadership because of the cyclical and constantly changing nature is critical. And um, the I, I wish I could buy stock, you know, and not let anybody know about it. And some of these companies that we have that are members of ours, because I just, you know, some of them join and I'm on the prospect call with the CEO for half an hour. And I immediately know like, this is a great company. Um, and I, I think we've seen that. I think we'll continue to see that through this. Um, we're going to, you know, it's busy this year. Um, some companies maybe that didn't have great leadership, you know, they had some challenges maybe to managing their pipeline through some of this that, that could cause some issues. We're likely going to get some, a big boon of refinance activity would be my guess when we get out of, when we get out of what we're going through right now. And then things are going to slow down. You know, if, if what we think is going to happen happens and we get out of this and the Fed uses MBS buying and to to manufacture lower mortgage rates into the twos, 30 year fixed rates um, to get more people able to refinance. Um, you're going to have a massive wave of refi and then refi is going to be done for about five years. And you're going to see a lot of consolidation in the industry, in my opinion, in from 2021 to 2025, if I had to guess how it's going to play out. So how does that value servicing strip on these things like right now you're already seeing loans originated with the value being close to zero so a lot of or a lot of companies out there are saying hey let's retain it a little bit and maybe in three five months or so we'll bulk sell that asset but right now it's it's not worth anything and if it continues to drive lower and lower rates then you know all those originated loans now will then have a zero value on the secondary market. Um, it's, it's hard you don't usually value the, um, like usually it's gravy, the value of 
retention of that customer and being able to, you know, turn them into their next customer with a new mortgage and things. But it, I don't know. I, I just get really confused on what that value is going to be in the future, even after the refinances, like you forecast come through. What are your thoughts on that? One other trend I've just seen in mortgage lending, you know, in, in my 20 some years in the industry is another predictor of success is like leaders that are like zigging when everybody else is zagging, like, right. Oh, there's no value in servicing. And, you know, and you know, there's all this uh, employment uh, disruption that, uh, you know, makes servicing and uh, mortgage bonds a risky proposition the smartest IMB owners that are part of our network that I know that are not currently servicing are all looking to get into servicing right now. And if I owned a mortgage banking company right now and wasn't servicing, I would be looking to do the same, you know, nothing is for sure. You know, many, many times in this industry, when you're certain something's going to happen, the exact opposite happens. I do think that we're going to see the fed, do what they did in the wake of the 0708 meltdown. And you see it now, they're starting to scale back their MBS purchases a little bit. Um, they're saving some gunpowder. Um, and, you know, once people get back to work, we're going to need to get this economy going again. What a great way to help spur that by lowering people's monthly debt obligations by refinancing a lot of three and a half and three and three quarter and 4% 30 year fixed into, you know, something in the high twos or 3%. A lot of those people will also take cash out and when they refinance and pump that money back into the economy, uh, it was a very effective tool that the fed deployed in 08 and 09 led to some really great years for the industry. Um, and I think you'll see that happening again. I also think that you'll see eventually through the GSEs, uh, and, and, you know, some people would argue this will never happen with Calabria. He's fundamentally opposed to it is, you know, like, uh, some kind of, remember the, the harp and the hand, yep. this is the, uh, the carp is what uh, one of our members, uh, Kevin Peranio, uh, <laughs> uh, the cares act refinance program. So the people in forbearance now, um, give them a vehicle to refinance into once they get out of it um, and allow other people to take advantage of it as well. Um, so I think you'll, I think you'll see all that happen. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. It's just, it's hard to invest into creating a servicing arm right now when delinquencies are up and therefore the price to service is up. And, but it, it, it's, it's a natural thing to do to make the investment now and to, and to recapture that value in the future, especially as like we talked about, it's effectively worthless right now in the secondary market. So um, it's worth it. It's worth the gamble. If you think about it, like how many times have we said over the course of the last 10 years, like this is it, like this refi booms the last <laughs> one, you know, because there's just no refinances left. And um, I think that was, you know, the last big refi boom, I forget when it was, I mean, you know, obviously we had some re refinance activity last year that led to a better year than expected, but a big boom. Um, but I really think that's true right now, because at the end of the day, how mortgage rates are created, mortgage rates can't really go much lower than 2.75, 2.8%, 30-year fixed, because there is risk. Um, there is prepayment right. risk. There is delinquency risk. So buyers of mortgage bonds 
are going to demand a yield of at least that. Um, so really, if we do have a situation where 30-year fixed rates get into the high twos or about 3%, those people will never be able to refinance for rate savings really ever. Um, so um, if you're getting back to the original question, servicing at the end of the day, the value of servicing is, you know, based on to a large degree um, prepay risk, you know, um, you know, you got a bunch of service 30 year fixed rate servicing on the books at 4%. And then rates drop to two and three quarters, the value of that servicing drops dramatically because, you know, the statistics say it's all going to pay off and refi making it worthless. Um, so that's an issue that people with a lot of servicing on the books right now are dealing with. But if you are not currently servicing, to me, this is a great, great time to get into it. You know, Rich, there's, as, as we talk through this, there's a lot on the minds of, of lenders and lender managers of the unknown of what's coming, thinking far enough in advance for a potential huge change in, in the, per, uh, the, the volume they'll be having for someone who feels like they're kind of on their heels in this and we're caught off a little surprise. What are some things that you think they can be focusing on in, in reshaping their business and getting more to leaning into this rather than uh, kind of letting it push them around? Well, it depends a little bit. Like, um, you know, I think that, you know, the depositories, um, like I think construction is going to be huge the next couple of years. You know, you essentially have a year where there's no homes being built, you know, because of what's going on right now. There was already a demand for more new housing stock inventory in America every year, you know, hundreds of thousands of homes are destroyed, knocked down, you know, uh, it's being not being it has not been replaced at the clip that it needs to be, which has led to some inventory issues. We've all, all been talking about the last two or three years. Um, and then on top of that, the you know, until recently, we're starting to make some progress in this area. The last six, six to nine months, the new homes that were being built. Like it was nothing under 350, 400,000. I mean, if you're a home builder for a bunch of different reasons, there's just was not, it was not a smart business model to build $200,000 homes. Now you had a lot of companies come in and uh, big uh, companies that have, you know, made big, huge investments in affordable housing and community, Apple and Google and some of the others that have really invested a lot of money in affordable housing. Uh, that has helped. But the point I'm getting to is that uh, there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a big demand for new construction uh, over the course of the next couple of years. So I think that's a big advantage for the depositories uh, as we go forward. Um, technology always, you know, what you know, your guys' product, what you offer, like you got to have it. You got to have the tech that. You, I mean, you got to think about like where the puck's going and not where it is. You got to think about you know. The, the couple that's 22, 23 years old right now um, that's going to want to buy a house in three years and the experience that they're going to want, you know, not necessarily the experience that your borrowers want today, which is definitely higher and different than what it was three or four years ago. So I think companies that are investing in the right tech um, and have been proactive about that, you know, it's also something getting into servicing right now. I think that's something 
you know, that you can, you can really lean into. So, um, and also I think really, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, lenders, I, I just see them like just killing themselves to save a basis point here, two basis points there. But now I see them realizing the impact of like the cost of brick and mortar. It's ridiculously expensive <laughs> and really unnecessary. Like lenders are just like dying and killing each other and laying people off to, you know, <laughs> reduce their cost to originate by a couple basis points and their healthcare costs go up by 25% every year and they just keep doing it. You know, without looking at alternatives or they keep investing in brick and mortar because they think they need physical buildings like the impact of stuff like that, um, I think, is something to lean into as well to really embrace a more nimble, different model than, you know, what's been utilized in the past in our industry. Rich, do you have an idea of, you know, all those things that you were saying, again, to tie it all back together is around leadership. So it's, it's being a forward thinking leader. It's thinking about where the puck's going rather than where it is today. It, for somebody who feels like they need to develop in that area, what do you see? The people that you see are the best leaders. Do you have an insight into where they're getting their coaching and their, and their, um, and their kind of experience from like, is it, do those have, do those people have mentors that they found out in the industry? You know, how would you recommend that somebody start to challenge themselves and grow as a leader um, in this space? So let's say that it was a LO and now they're a, a, a 10 person or 15 person shop. They haven't been able to, you know, invest a lot of time. They've always been manufacturing loans themselves and getting loans themselves. How do they, how do they go become a better leader? You know, in my opinion, you, you go work for a company with great leadership and, you know, it is, it is embedded into your DNA on a daily basis. Great companies not only have great leaders, but they have leaders that are not afraid of developing the person that's going to replace them. They have succession plans, you know, Green Bay Packers getting demolished right now for drafting Jordan Love, Right. Um, same thing people are saying when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, like green Bay's had a franchise quarterback for 30 years, you know, things like that. Um, so if it was me and, you know, I was a, a loan originator that wanted to be a sales manager, a sales manager that wanted to be a division head or an underwriter that wanted to be an underwriting manager. Uh, I would really be looking for companies with great leadership and, you know, and, and selling yourself to them, essentially. Um, it, you know, there's not, you know, you can always, there's things you could do. You know, I, I mentioned the case Western and, you know, it's a great program here locally in Cleveland. There's professional coaches. Some are a waste of money. Some are great. You got to find the right one. Um, but in my opinion, the best and most practical way, for somebody to become a better leader is to work for one. I mean, that's great. I think, I think the other, the other thing I'll add to that is for, for someone who it's uncomfortable for, I think there's a shift in mindset of, of being open to feedback and asking for feedback on, on how am I doing and, and what can I be better at? And, um, and I think especially the business world and maybe this is like, especially in the mortgage industry, like this is why it's so hard to even convince people to share their insights and share their information is like, is opening yourself up to 
I could be better at something. And rather than my ego take control and me pretend like I have everything covered and know everything about the industry I'm in or know everything about how I do my job, taking feedback from whether it's your current manager or, um, or a peer or, or anybody on just asking for feedback on where do they think you could get better um, and leaning into it. I think it's, it's something that I think there's a mindset as, as, a, as an individual that you have to kind of go against this super strong ego-led uh, world, especially in business, that you have no faults um, and really just accept that there's always things you can get better in. And leadership might be one of those things. I think it's a huge opportunity for the mortgage industry. I've watched it change. Like if you look at, uh, I joke all the time, like there were so many stupid people that got stinking rich in the mortgage industry <laughs> for decades, you know, um, regulation was lax, you know, again, it's not, especially back in the day, it was not too complex of a process. If, you know, you had some money you could invest and, uh, you know, right place, right time. What I've seen over the course of the last five to 10 years is the peop a lot of people that had had a lot of success throughout their career, made a lot of money, have kind of fallen off the wagon these last five or 10 years because to be successful in today's mortgage industry, it's more substance over style. Uh, I think style and silver tongue and uh, having some money to throw around was good enough for decades in the mortgage industry to, you know, be viewed as, you know, an industry leader and, you know, make gobs of money. And now I've seen this change of substance to over style and the leaders that I'm seeing emerging in the mortgage industry are selfless, humble. The, the, the ones I see that are going to be in a much, much better place five years from now and that are in a much better place today than they were three years ago are selfless, humble, not afraid to roll up their sleeves, um, communicate incredibly well throughout the organization down to the loan processor and lock desk person. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I've, I've seen that happen. And I think that's a trend that's going to continue. Brian, did I cut you off from something you wanted to say earlier? No, you actually hit on exactly what I wanted to say. It's, it's, we spend way too much time together. Um, okay, so Rich, uh, last question that will um, cap this off uh, for you. It, what is the, the temperature today on the mortgage industry, especially after this COVID news? And what do you think it'll be and how people will be feeling in, let's call it six months time? So you did a, you had a crystal ball of setting a remote working session at your last conference before all this hit. And now we'll, we'll see how accurate that crystal ball is. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, you know, um, there were definitely some companies that were potentially in some trouble, um, in late March and early April when it all had disintermediation in the secondary markets and margin calls and, you know, it was, it was a time where, you know, and I'm biased because I was a former cap markets guy, but you know, again, if I'm running a mortgage company right now, that's like, that's a place you spend money. Like if you're a football team in the NFL, you go spend money on a quarterback. If you're a mortgage company, you go spend money on a great cap markets person because they're worth every penny. And we saw that, we saw that in practice in late March and early April. Um, some companies maybe didn't have some great secondary people, 
there were some nervous, nervous weeks. Now things calmed down a little bit. The Fed took their foot off the gas pedal. The margin call thing kind of came and passed and the market ended up coming back to everybody. So those people that made hedging mistakes were able to get bailed out, maybe, you know, at even or maybe even a little profit. <clears throat> but now things are good you know, it's still busy. Um, you have some lenders with some buyback risk. Um, on this forbearance thing, if they can't sell direct to the agencies, which is a big advantage right now, as opposed to being beholden to sell to the aggregators. But my guess on how things are going to play out is that it's going to be a great year for the mortgage industry. You know, last year, the, the before the year predictions were a trillion four, a trillion five, ended up being like 2.2 trillion. Going into this year, it was the projections were about the same, about 2.2 trillion. I think now MBA up there is at 2.3 or 2.4. I think it's going to be like 2.6, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be a huge year for the mortgage industry, maybe even better. Companies are going to make a lot of money. Um, the ones that will, and so I think a lot of companies, most companies will have a great 2020. Now, the ones that will have great 2021s, 22s, and 23s are the ones that are thinking about those years right now and are not getting obsessed with the here and now and are able to still, you know, again, lead with vision, uh, and figure out where the puck is going and, uh, you know, reinvest some of this profit and all this business that they're seeing this year in the right way. So, but we'll see, I do think it's going to be a good year for the mortgage industry. Um, but, uh, you know, and in future years, I do think the industry all in all, there's definitely a little bit more consolidation that can happen and is probably needed, but you're not going to see any of it this year. I like what you mentioned about the, the secondary markets person or the capital markets executive that these companies employ. And it, it goes back to kind of keeping your cards to your chest in a sense. I think that that role is, like you mentioned, extremely important, but there's really a short supply of those folks. And I really want more and more people to go after that as a potential profession because there's such a need for it. And right now, um, those people tend to keep their cards closer to their chest because they have security through obscurity and what they do all a lot of people that run these companies just know that the capital markets person is is protecting the revenue and doing as much as they can to to keep us alive which they are doing but understanding exactly how is the really difficult part it's it's finance it's it's all sorts of different things that confuse a lot of folks so um i, I encourage a lot of people to to study that stuff and, and become one of those people and, and increase the the supply of those folks that can be employed in the mortgage companies. Cause they're going to be needed more and more in the future. Honestly, it's, you know, nothing you can go to college for really. You talk to cat markets, people, their story on how they get into business. They're usually funny, different. Any young person that asks me like, Oh, you know, I want to get them in, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but I want to <laughs> get in the mortgage industry. Like, you know, what is your, I, I always say the same thing every time, like start in the lock capital markets. Like it's the financial guts and underpinning of the industry. That's how I started um, as like lock desk boy, you know, and uh, it was great. It's like you learn from inside out, you know? So um, it, uh, it is highly valued and I would agree with everything you just said there. 
Well, great, Rich. We, uh, we really appreciate you joining us. You know, it was virtual today, hopefully, uh, or we're really looking forward to actually being able to be in person one day. So we'll do a rich round two when we, uh, when we can actually be in person, uh, maybe at one of the conferences and, and hopefully enjoy a beer or something together. Uh, it sounds so weird being able to actually think about meeting someone in person. It's been so, it seems like it's been almost a year since meeting someone in person, but really appreciate the time and, and your insights. And I think the, the conversation around leadership, um, was something that I wasn't fully expecting, but became, uh, the most relevant thing that we needed to talk about, which was, which was always a welcome surprise. So thanks so much for your time, Rich, and, and wish you the best. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on and, uh, happy to do it anytime and, uh, yeah, be safe and, uh, hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. Great. And if someone wants to learn about the mortgage collaborative, where, where can they go and learn more? Uh, mortgagecollaborative.com or, um, you know, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, we're pretty active on LinkedIn talking about what we're doing for our members. So I always point people there. Our website does a pretty good job laying out who we are and how to get a hold of us. And, uh, yeah, we're doing some pretty cool things. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rich. Stay safe and stay well. Thanks guys. And that's it. Another episode of Clear to Close is in the books. Uh, thanks for listening. And to listen to more episodes of Clear to Close, go to any of your favorite places for podcasts, Apple, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify. I'm sure there's many more. And if you want to listen in your browser, visit www.highmaxwell.com slash podcast. There you can see all of our episodes as well as check out some of the other content that Maxwell provides um, ebooks, blogs, and uh, our entire resource library. Once you've listened to a few episodes, we'd love for you to give us a review. I'm pretty sure Apple and Google will only accept five-star reviews. I think it's a new status they have. Um, so that's the highly recommended uh, rating. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. And until next time, we'll see you later. Before we end the show, we wanted to give a huge thanks to the company that makes this all possible. Maxwell. Beyond being our beloved employer, Maxwell is a digital mortgage platform and network designed specifically for small to mid-sized mortgage lenders to excel with technology and services that are game-changing for their business. Unlike other tech, Maxwell believes in empowering, not replacing humans. It takes a fundamental stance that people are critical to a powerful relationship in business. If you take myself and Brian and Chelsea away, the rest of the team at Maxwell is a team of rock stars who are absolutely obsessed with making sure our customers not only survive, but thrive in these times. To learn more all about how Maxwell can fit into your process and help your business grow, please visit www.highmaxwell.com or email meetmax at highmaxwell.com.